Did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the top requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Bombas is hoping by creating comfy essentials and donating one for each one purchase. That is a very cool idea. Yeah, We've been talking cool. about this for a while. The comfort geniuses at Bombas make your everyday things your favorites, whether it's that arch-supporting sock. I love an arch-supporting sock. Mm -hmm. A buttery soft tee or underwear that feels like nothing. Mm. Worried about the wrong size? Bombas offers a hassle-free return with their 100% happiness guarantee. I like Bombas because they have a uh, terrific product, but they also have a, I think, a good social mission. They're helping people. Yeah, it's nice. I like their sock. Yeah, and you like, well, I hope you like their socks, plural. <laughs> I like both. I like the two so that I put on. So you like the, the right and the left. Yes, I do. I like wow. two, two socks. What a brave then. stance from you, Sona. <laughs> Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 25% off your first purchase. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, my name is J.J. Abrams. And I feel exceedingly lucky about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Hey there, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, podcast that's chugging along uh, even through this uh, quarantine, this uh, global pandemic, we're still trying to get you whatever it is we provide. I honestly have no idea <laughs> what this is, but whatever this is, we're doing our best to keep providing it. It's uh, probably masks, medicines would be much more useful, <laughs> but this is what we have and we're going to keep making it for you until the government stops us. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my trusty assistant, Sona Movsessian. Hey, Sona. Hello. Hi. You're coming Hello. to us uh, from your home in a very rural part of California known as Altadena. It's not rural. Very rural. Very far from me. Um, Ridiculous. No. Was there other houses there when you when you intact found that place? Were there other people there? <laughs> yes, there you... were. Really? So it's an entire city. It's a neighborhood. It's tents, mostly tents. And uh, people oh have God. staked out their property and now they're just starting to build. Like in the Old West. Who has contempt for houses that are just far away from him? Please. It's just because it's far from you. I'm the center. Uh, okay. And you are far from me. It's that old classic New Yorker cartoon. You know, there's just Manhattan and then there's the rest of the world. They should do that where it's just Conan. And then way off in the corner, there's some frizzy hair on the horizon. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> Matt Gorley, you're here as well. Matt, good to see you. Hi. Uh, we're all, everybody's safe? Everybody uh, taking care of themselves? Yeah, I'm thriving. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's, I don't think you're supposed to say that right now. I think you're supposed to say, I'm fine. I'm holding up well. But you're not supposed to say, I'm thriving. <laughs> Right. Well, <laughs> during the pandemic, outside world aside, I, I'm in my element because you like this. You like being uh, in your home with all the stuff you love, your banjos and my model airplanes. <laughs> hey, it's coming along pretty nice. My sop with camel made of balsa wood from the Gilos balsa wood kit company. Anyway, why go on at length? 
we're here, we're making these shows, and we're still having a good time. I, I have to say I prefer being in the room with you guys and with our guests, but this is pretty good. I've been surprised at how well this is working. I wasn't sure this would work out. There's a lot of technical challenges. We spend about half an hour before each podcast session adjusting dials and knobs and trying to get the right levels. Yeah, and you're doing very well, except there's one more improvement we need to make. Well, I'm sorry to see you go. <laughs> uh, no, I, I am. We're going to miss you, uh, but I'm sure it be hard to find someone else with your eclectic tastes no. in uh, 50s telephones. But anyway, no, go ahead. Well, how can I, what can we do to make this better? I want it to be better. Well, you're doing it right now. You are talking into the side of the microphone mm -hmm. and there's a big plosive problem with your peas because I take them all out in post-production. But I, I asked you to talk past your microphone and I want to like show you this picture. Oh. Okay, first of all, you're talking not even into the top edge of the microphone. You've got it like over your face from the side and then there's a giant blue light on you. You look like Braveheart or Gemini holograms or something. Yeah. I don't know I'll put this photo is. up. Well, first of all, that's not a blue light. I think I had a hematoma. <laughs> I had a uh, cerebral hemorrhage and bravely went on during the podcast. So I guess eggs on your face. As for talking, I don't, I think this is my subtle way of showing contempt for this medium. Yeah, I think so. Do you see how the mic is not in front of you know, me here? Okay. All right. Let me tell you something. Oh, I... No. I, I set myself up for this. No, I no, no, no. I'm, 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 no, we're not going to do the old, I get you, you get me. We're not going to do that. We're not going to become the Bickersons. I uh, do take direction well. My whole life, people have clipped a microphone. And when I mean people, there's 15 people that clip a microphone to my tie. I don't know why it takes 15. It's a union thing. Uh, and it's, it's 14 people holding one person. But <laughs> they bring them over and they clip it onto my tie. So I've never really had to deal with microphones this way. Oh. So... I apologize if I've caused you extra work. But right now you sound perfect. You've done it. We're there. Peter Piper picked a peck of oh, pickled God. peppers. Oh. How many pickled peppers did oh. Peter Piper pick? Uh, now what happens? So you, when you go through, what is it you do? I'm curious to know how you contribute. Well, these, <laughs> wow. God. No, no, it's a mystery to me. I'm, this is good. This is good for me to know what you do. So what is it? Other than being one of two members of the heart and soul of this podcast. Other than glare at me while so in a laugh. <laughs> Fills the air with her rich tones. What is it you do? You take out hard P sound. Oh my God. To begin with. So that's, what you, with. so that's what you do. Like if the cops pull you over and they're like, sir, you're gonna have to step out of the car. You realize you were going 75. Yeah, I'm sorry, officer. Tell us, what's your name? I'm Matt Groh. What do you do? I remove the plosives <laughs> from I... the faux radio show. More oh of a podcast, God. if you will. God. Sorry. Man, last week we got along so well we were on the same team, and now we're <laughs> back into it. It's, I'm having a nosebleed. This is what happens when you criticize one little thing about what Conan's yeah. doing. He it's... didn't just criticize. He had a picture ready. <laughs> And he put it up to try and sway the jury in a way that I thought was unfair. You came at me with photographic evidence. And when you do that, I have to come back with my full nuclear arsenal <laughs> and make sure that you can never attack again. That's the only way. That's the only way for me to be safe. 
Look how glam rock you look in this photo, though. I know. You know incredible. what that is? I will post this on my Instagram or something. Yeah, post that on your Instagram. You know what I think that might be? The, they gave me this ring light that I use for the show. No, isn't it the power indicator on the microphone? Oh, you're it's, right. It's this blue light. It's the blue light. That shows how close you are to this. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to bathe ourselves in the blue light because it prevented skin cancer. So that's why I've been getting in so close is to save my life. Yeah, that's One it. One side of your face is completely freckle-free now. You look like a reverse two-face. <laughs> I know. I just... No, I... Uh, and Matt, I... Please. I think it goes without saying you do an enormous amount of work on this podcast, and I value uh, all that you do. Ugh. And my lawyer just called and wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> wrote that out for me. Um, I wish you well in all future endeavors. There, I'm done. Oh um, my okay. God! Let's get on. That's with That's worse. Episode. That's worse than when he rags. It's the on worst. You. Yeah, yeah, Sona always says the worst thing I do is apologize because yeah. when I say, I you know what, like Sona, it. I really, I really do value you, and you really are a great person. She can't handle it. No, it's awful because you're holding like your breath either. for what's coming next. Yeah, it's not genuine, and it's it is genuine. Yeah. It is genuine. You know, I genuinely value both of you. I think you guys. I hate oh, nope, stop Jeez, it. Stop, stop it. I do. Nope. I hate this. I hate oh. this. Ugh. Stop it. It's worse. <laughs> it's so we, much worse. Hey, hey guys, can I say one thing since we're on the uh, since we're on the topic of, of of Mike stuff? This is Mr. Will Beckton. and Will. Uh, no, I again, no idea what you do. An, an engineer of some sort, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and you look like you uh, just escaped from a cult that you started. Uh, <laughs> That's the only cult I'd be a part of. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just one thing uh, it, as a, as an aide, Sona is a natural as far as mic technique. So if, of course, if you just look at oh, Sona, that's the way God. to do it as far as distance and also because her <sighs> voice is like in the pattern of what the mic picks up. Well, first of all, we should tell people Sona doesn't use a mic. Her, <laughs> oh my God! Her voice is so loud that she just starts speaking and everyone can register it. You've been in, on television for how long using microphones? Podcasts are a completely different kettle of fish. That's what? a whole yeah, it's a whole new uh, terrain filled with uh, sea life. No, you've I've seen you hold so many microphones in the time. Yeah, I've been holding it's different. You. This is a very intimate medium. I want people to get to know me, so I want to almost have the microphone inside me. Oh, oh my God. Okay, we need to wrap you this just, up. You can't say thank you for the note, everybody. And <laughs> yeah. we will. Uh, I will take that note and I will do better next time. Thank you for the note given to me publicly uh. with photographic evidence <laughs> on the podcast, I guess, is what you want. Sure, <laughs> thanks. That, and, and in the future, that's how I'll address you guys as well. Once you learn how to take a screenshot... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god direct hit direct hit wow wow that was, mm, was delicious have you guys watched the movie goodfellas oh no do you remember when they're all playing poker Oh. And Spider, who's played. This is exactly how I felt coming into this podcast. The first season, I felt just like Spider, where I was going to go go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, Spider. Spider has and to get, get some of the drinks, and he's played uh, beautifully by uh, from The Sopranos, um, Michael Imperioli. Michael Imperioli. He takes all this uh, shit from Joe Pesci, and then finally he tells him to go fuck himself, or in this case, uh, 
hey, you speak into the mic wrong and you can't take a screenshot. Yeah. And everyone else laughs. So Sona's De Niro and mm-hmm. she's yeah. laughing and everyone's laughing like, oh, ho, ho, ho. All right, Spider. Good for you, Spider. Spider's fucking up. And Pesci's doing what I did, remaining perfectly silent <laughs> and just staring, staring at Michael Imperioli. Uh, if you don't know what happens next, you should watch the movie. Um, I'm not joking. I thought about that the first season. I felt like, oh my God. Yeah. That reminded yeah. me of that. Yeah. But Joe Pesci's intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she just spidered herself. <laughs> I hate it here on my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm better than you at microphones. I'm, That's what I'm taking away from all this. Yeah. I am... I have designed a special world that I can get inside of even during a pandemic and be humiliated. <laughs> all right, we, we, uh, I, I deserve all of that. I am uh, a tech moron, but, uh, and a monster, uh, terrible. Oh, that's not fun when you do that. I know, I know. It's funny, I don't even mean it. I mean, a monster in the way, look, genius, geniuses are difficult. Listen, uh, please, let's hurry up, let's get to it. Mozart, anyway. Oh my God. Not an easy guy. Anyway, here we go. Great geniuses, often difficult. Michael Jordan, not an easy guy. Okay, here we go. Wow. I'm Jordan. Here we go. Buy my sneakers. Here we go. My guest today is an extremely talented filmmaker behind some of the biggest movies and television shows of the past 20 years, including Lost, Star Trek, Super 8, and Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, He also happens to be an incredibly uh, lovely and funny human being. Very excited to talk to him today. J.J. Abrams, welcome. We've known each other, I I remember exactly the first time I talked to you and you could not have been nicer. It's when I was, uh, I think second time I was hosting the Emmys, I called you up because I had an idea of jumping through the different shows and I wanted it to start on Lost. And someone said, just call J.J. Abrams. And I remembered saying, I can't just call J.J. Abrams. And they said, yeah, you can. Uh, it never occurs to me that I might be able to do that. You, and I got you can on the do phone. That. You can call people. And I, I know. And I, uh, well, I, it's a whole other story. That's a whole therapy session. But I called you and you could not have been nicer. And you said, yes, uh, yes, of course, we'd love to do this segment. And uh, I'd like to direct it. And I, um, I was on cloud nine. That was really fun, by the way. It was fun. Come on. It was, it, it was really fun. And then I'm going to be honest with you. I thought, I've just been directed by J.J. Abrams. This is going to lead to a lot of film work. <laughs> Nothing. A vast tundra. That's what happens when people work with me. <laughs> Silence. You're in good company, my friend. J.J. Abrams killed my film career. And this led, <laughs> this is where I really want to begin. Yeah. I understand you are, a prof- you are at the top of your game. Uh, I absolutely adore your work. You understand you've worked with just monumental, uh, iconic figures like a Harrison Ford multiple times. You know what a movie star looks like. What am I missing? Is it the lips? Are the lips too thin? It's the eyes, isn't it? It's the beady, it's the tone of voice. You're being really hard on yourself for the first time ever. (laughs) (laughs) If you really cared about me, you'd be honest and you'd say, look, Conan, you have certain qualities that have helped you in the business. It's the lips, it's the vein near your eye, it's the reedy, nasally tone. All right, I'll be honest, I'm gonna be honest with you. 
It's the vein near your eye. <laughs> yes. What the, what the hell are you talking about? I'm what talking about hell? a very, pro- I have a very prominent eye vein. I have translucent Irish skin and I have uh, a, a you vein. You have PEV? I don't, what is prominent PEV? eye vein? Yes, yes, thank you. For a minute, I was like, what's PEV? Sona, tell, Sona, tell JJ I have a prominent eye vein. Oh my God, it's horrific. Okay, it is, all right, take it easy. so horrific. You know when uh, you see an old lady at the beach and her, and her leg, there's just a massive vein going down the side? Like a varicose vein? Yes, a varicose yeah. vein. I have a giant old lady's leg varicose vein <laughs> running under... <laughs> My eye, wow. my right eye. I've never, and, I've never noticed that. Now it's it, all I'm going to see. Well, it pulsates when I'm enraged, and you've never, <laughs> ever angered That's incredible. Me. I, I remember the first time I saw you, and it was, uh, I went to one of your test shows when you were first doing your first series, and Tom Selleck was the test guest on the, in this test show. It's all a blur to me, but yeah, okay. I, I, no, but I just, I, I, I will never forget it. And it was, uh, it was, you know, this was gonna be the new guy that was taken over. And like, who, who's, he gonna, what, who's this guy? And you came out and, you know, even in that test show, I just remember you, you killed it. And it was this thing of, of getting to see something before anyone else saw it. And uh, we just got, I don't even know how we got tickets. And we got to go and it was really super fun. And I just was like, oh my God, this guy is going to be the new guy. And, and that's, here that's you are. So, that's so sweet. Uh, that was now, that's now like 20, almost 28 years ago, hard to believe, or 27, uh, yeah, Crazy. 27 years ago. Isn't that amazing? But um, it's amazing that I'm still in my 40s. And the point is <laughs> that I remember about those test shows. I think we did 10 test shows and they were either great or they were horrific. So I'm glad you saw- Oh, I saw a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you saw a good one because- yeah. And then uh, the show uh, was all over the map for the first uh, year or so, but uh, we steadied the ship. And What were you feeling like when you first were going out there doing that? Like in, in the test shows, even before you went on air? It was a mixture of either, and this is the most honest answer I can give, either complete lack of confidence and a feeling that I'm a complete fraud or total, oh no, I'm going to do this because this is God's will kind of confidence. And I don't right. understand. And it would vacillate between yeah. the two of them. And I still have, and I, I've talked to other people. It's not completely uncommon. I wouldn't say the extremes are that great, but I still have moments of, I can't do this. I'm not going to be any good at this. This is a terrible mm. idea. This is a mistake. And I need to call the person and talk them out of me doing this event because I'm not going to, it's not going to work. Or aren't they lucky? that they get to see me. <laughs> and I don't understand, yeah. I don't understand that brain chemistry. That is weird. I think that it's probably, uh, I think that they're both necessary ingredients to be able to have the kind of audacity to think that you're gonna, you're gonna be able to and you're worthy of entertaining people and the ability to be someone in the audience, to have that, to be able to jump into the, the you know, the observer point of view and-, and Right. Which of course means you can't be also the person on stage and in those moments, it's like, what the hell am I doing? You know, assuming I can be the one who goes up and, and, and does it. Well, you're a perfect person to talk to about this because you have taken on these responsibilities that I can't even imagine. I've done some things that are scary in my life as a performer or a comedian, things that have really terrified me, things that I look back on them and I go, wow, that was, that was intense. But I think about you having to you know, curate, coordinate, uh, uh, be at the very center of these massive productions. And I think I would wake up at night and 
I mean, in my case, justifiably so, I would wake up and think, this is, how is this happening? How can this even happen? I don't know if you ever have moments as J.J. Abrams where you say, I'm directing, uh, you know, Harrison Ford in Star Wars. I, yeah. this was an iconic movie that helped, uh, you know, launch my interest in film. And now I'm here doing it and he has to do what I tell him to do <laughs> or he's, or he's fired. That's, yeah. I mean, do you have moments where you step outside yourself and, and oh, find yeah. it all? I, I think it, it happens all the time. I mean, I, there, there have been moments uh, where I've, I remember we were shooting on the, in the first Star Trek movie we did and there was this one scene where there was this group of what were meant to be these really bad, scary uh, guys. And uh, I, I sort of cast all these, uh, these bald guys. We had tattoos on their faces and they, you know, and I thought, okay, these are going to be really interesting looking. It would be kind of cool. And the character of uh, of captain of this ship was coming over, Captain Rabau. And on that day, I realized, uh, oh, God, he's also uh, bald, completely bald. Mm -hmm. And I have all these uh, these bald guys. And I looked at the bad guys, and they... I realized they kind of looked like they were sort of in like a like a boy band, like a K-pop. Like kind of, and and then I looked at the at the ball captain coming out, and I just and I I broke into this crazy sweat, and I and and the first AD was like, you know, so are you ready? And I'm like, I'm like, nope. And I I walked away, and I was like, literally, I walked behind the set and kind of you know walked around by myself, just in this panic, like, what the fuck am I gonna do to make any of? And it was this crazy, you know moment and it's just one of of dozens that i can think of where uh i i was justifiably in a in a state of kind of near oh my god this is the other shoe dropping this is the moment when not only i but everyone finally realizes that there's not a a, a reason i should be doing this and and it was it just it's 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 you know those those happen all the time i'm a big fan of that movie and i i loved your fix for that was to have all the other bald guys wear mets caps uh to <laughs> offset them i just thought mets fans yeah. And I have to say, it took me out of the moment <laughs> for a second, and then you just got right past it. And, uh, you know, it's another thing, you know, because I try very hard. I'm very uh, impressed by what you do. And I'm very impressed. I think a lot of it or a piece of it is you do it very well, but I also don't understand it. I fundamentally don't understand what it is Everything I do is very immediate. I go out and I do it and it's immediate and it and then it's either it's good, medium, bad. Uh, we fix it if we can, but then we move on. And I'm thinking of you being involved in these projects that take a year and a half, two years, and there's so much time to massage it, to try and figure something out in editing that I would feel that you could get lost. I would just, I don't understand how you don't get completely lost in the process. It's a weird thing because, you know, obviously uh, doing what you do and having, you know, worked at SNL and like, you know, and where it, it is literally, you know, live and happening in the moment. And then things like The Simpsons where it's, it's you know, a, a year and a half before you see the <clears throat> the animation and you know, you, you've, you've worked in all sorts of things and obviously going off and doing remotes and things, you know, you, 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 you've experienced everything that I've experienced in, in just, you know, slightly different ways. And I would say that for me, it's, it's never live TV. It's never, uh, happening, you know, real time. But the truth is that, that 
it's seat of your pants. And, you know, usually on something, whether it's a, a, a Star Trek or Star Wars movie, those are movies where, you know, y- y- you rarely re- read a, a, a header for a scene, you know, interior hardware store day. It's always like something that's impossible <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and doesn't right. exist on the planet. R2-D2 so is like, buying house paint. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Captain Spock, Spock needs some caulking for the bathroom, which is an the, underrated scene, by the way. Those scenes don't happen. So you're always looking at like, how do we even begin to imagine where this thing would ever take place and how does it look? And, and as big as the crew may be and as large as the production is, um, it's always the, the thing that makes it work is that you're working with people who are great, the, pe- the, the, the people you can rely on who are as freaked out as you are and have their own moments of I'm not worthy all the time as well, but are looking at you as you're looking at them like, we, you know, how are we going to do this? We're going to figure it out together. And, and you know, I don't know what kind of, you know, cojones I think I, I have to be able to say yes to things that I'm, where I'm like, there's an audacity there that I, I you know, I, I feel is maybe a mental illness. Uh, that's what I wanted to get to, is is your mental illness. And, uh, and, and this is really the point. This is more of an intervention, I think, than a podcast. But when you, but when you think about it, what I do relate to, and I, I try to convey this to people, Say yes first and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I used to believe I'm, I, I was raised to be very responsible. And I was raised to be, you know, only say yes if you really know you can do it and that you're going to be there and you've thought it through. And all the pivotal moments in my life have been, hey, can you do this thing? Uh, and I just, something in me said yes mm-hmm. when I had no idea how I was going to do it. And Yes, if you sat with a rational team of people and said, well, they want this Star Wars movie that should take 24 you know, months to do and they want it in 13 months and uh, there is 150 million moving pieces, let's rationally think this through. Logical people would say it can't be done, but all the good stuff gets done that way. I, I think that that's true and it's it's part of the fun, but it's not... You know, it, it, it's not necessarily meant to just be about the fun, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know, I think it depends what the thing is. If someone someone says, "Listen, you know, will you perform this heart surgery?" It's like, yes. It's like there are certain stakes that I think you know, like I, I need to realize, you know, at, at a certain point, um, there are things that are important that I got lucky, you know, on the first couple movies I did, the the Mission Impossible three and the Star Trek, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the first one, you know, we did. And so when we, for example, when we shot the Star Trek movie, you know, the first one, we didn't do any reshoots at all. You know, the, the only thing we added during the mix is I filmed, there's a kid driving a car in the beginning of the movie, yeah. young Kirk. I, I went on the, we went on the roof of the parking structure at Fox uh, and I, I filmed the kid, the close-ups of him driving, just because I didn't feel like we had enough of that. Like that was the entire reshoot for the Star Trek movie. Again, obviously in, in this moment now, you know, who knows post- COVID-19, who knows sort of how and what that will look like. And, and, and I do think that once, once this lifts, I do think we revert. I, I think I just, you're right. I just, I just think we do. And I think that uh, there's a What's very- a good question. What, what do you think does carry over? Like in terms of, because, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of people who are obviously struggling and, it's, and that's awful. And, and, and then, you know, a lot of people are just sort of getting by and doing okay. And different people have different versions of struggle. But I... I you know, everyone seems to have some version of, you know, that there there is an aspect of this that is 
making them re-examine things. And I just wonder like mm-hmm. what people will be taking into, you know, post-COVID life that they've, you know, that they've learned. I have a theory that we are going to, I know myself, and I think it's true of, I think it's true of a lot of people. I so appreciate now, I so appreciate all the people in my life that I work with because I love working with people. I've always liked mm-hmm. Uh, being in the mix and 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 being around a lot of people and in your work you're you're collaborating with a lot of really funny smart sharp people very talented people and I am going to try to hang on to that appreciation for as long as I can after this lifts part of me suspects because I'm a human being I'll revert, <laughs> you know, with it after yeah. like a six month period. Yeah. Um, and, I was just and, talking about that with, uh, with Judd Apatow about that, about just how like, you know, people it, it will just sort of snap back to whatever bad habits. I don't know where you were before. living after uh, when 9-11 occurred, I was living in Manhattan. You know, my wife and I would go to restaurants and this is the days after 9-11. And, you know, the, the waitress would come over and would say, sit down and, uh, and, and the groups of people I were with, I was with, we, they would, the, the, the waiter, the manager, people would come and sit down with us. We were all saying, how are you? Where do you live? Are you okay? It was really beautiful. And I remembered it lasting like three weeks. And then I saw people, you know, lifting up their credit card and dropping it <laughs> behind their back as if to say, if you don't catch this by the time it hits the floor, Missy, there's no tip for you. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope that we'll, we'll, I hope that we'll do better. I think I'm a little, uh, not sure, not sure that we will. I I do think we will probably revert in a lot of ways. I guess I'd like that to be what we take away from this podcast with JJ is human beings are terrible. (laughs) JJ is mentally ill. Human beings are bad. And uh, my film career has been ruined by my pulsating varicose eye vein. Um, You know what? It fascinated me. And I, I love you've had this insane success in film, but you came at it through TV initially, and it really was a love of television. And we've talked about this, but we're both lovers of 1960s television. And for you, it was The Twilight Zone. And Yeah, I love The Twilight Zone. And um, it was such, you know, I, I later learned much more about Rod Serling, because Rod Serling was the guy who would, and, and if you're listening right now and you're, you're not familiar with that show, it was such such an iconic show. And it was hosted by this brilliant guy named Rod Serling who would come out at the top of the show and then introduce you to this tale. And you never knew, the rest of television was predictable because nobody died, no regular uh, cast member died on a regular you know, episode of a TV show. In this, in a Twilight Zone, anything could happen. And you'd, yes. really get in, you'd really get invested in it. And as I've looked more and more into Rod Serling, I found out he was this fascinating man who I believe was. was key in coming up to like the ending of Planet of the Apes. Is that true or is that yes, an he, urban he, legend? Yes, he wrote the, uh, the, the, he was one of the writers of the, the Charlton Heston feature. And uh, that was his ending. The, the Statue of Liberty ending was, was not in the novel because it was originally a French novel. But, but he, he, um, he was an amazing guy, and he, he actually uh, didn't live far from from here, from where we live. And and he uh, his his wife, who I got to know, uh, Carol, who sadly passed away a few months ago. Um, she was an amazing woman, and and I remember reading that Rod Serling would dictate his scripts as opposed to sitting at a at a typewriter. And 
So one day I, I asked Carol if she had any of the recordings. She said, oh, yes. I was like, what? You have, you know, could you, could you send me one? And she had one that was, that was digitized and she sent it to me um, on a, a CD. And it was like 1 a.m. and I was in my office at home and I, I put the, the CD in and I hit play. And it was, it was a recording from a, uh, a dictaphone and the recording had been bent. It was like a, like a belt almost and it had been yeah, bent. So yeah. there was just kind of like this, like this, this sort of constant, like, like sound. It's like, I was like, this is kind of weird. And then I heard this like crinkling sound, which, which I recognized immediately as the sound of the, the microphone that was on a, a plastic cord mm-hmm. and it had an on off switch and mm-hmm. he would turn it off when he wanted to think and he would turn it on again to, to record. So there was this, this, and then this crinkling sound and then this like loud sort of hit of the button. And there was Rod Sterling's voice saying, interior, diner, man walks in, sits down, <laughs> looks around. And, 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 like, and I heard this crinkling and he was like stopping to think what, what happens next. And I got to like hear when Rod Sterling would stop and consider the next thing. Then he looks at the waiter, raises his hand, miss. <laughs> you know, and then every once in a while, he'd say, Denise, remind me to tell Carol. And he'd like do like <laughs> personal notes. That's a great Rod Sterling too. That's oh, a fantastic Rod Sterling. It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it it down I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, yeah. find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. You know, our podcast, we've been doing it for five years now, and it's changed over oh, the years. Yeah, yeah, it has. I've gotten better looking, I think, stronger. Oh. Um, you no. seem less mentally sharp. I Oh, These I things just happen. You know, thinking other things. Well, whatever, with like time. Like the studio. We got a new studio. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we got a new studio. But uh, you know what? One thing hasn't changed, and that's the great taste of Miller Lite. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this on the drive-in this morning. So much has changed, but not the great taste of Miller Lite. You were I, thinking about Miller Lite this morning I on the way I shouted it out the window at the car next to me, and the guy gave me a thumbs up and said, I agree. 
<laughs> it was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one, if you ask me. Yeah. I like to have a good time. You know that. I'm good. Oh, you love to party. My name is Conan Good Time O'Brien, yeah. and I get together with my gang, my squad, and we crack open some Miller Lights, and all is good in the hood. <laughs> Undebatable quality, great taste, and guess what? Mm. I ran the numbers myself. Yeah. Only 96 calories. Wow. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. It's a light beer that tastes, guess what? Ding dong, open the door, like a beer. <laughs> the original light beer since 1975. Red Sox won the pennant. Anyway, times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Merle Light. Tastes like Miller time to get Miller Light delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com slash Conan, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Hey, you sell beer? Yes, we do. Bet you have Miller Lite. Yes, we do. <laughs> hey, Muppet, why are you working here? I'm not sure. Celebrate responsibly. <laughs> Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you, what would you do? Would you read a book, Sona, take a nap? What would you do? I'd probably watch TV. Yeah. Well, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Uh, the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Well, guess what? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Mm. I think I'm a big believer in uh, therapy and just talking in general, mm -hmm. um, getting uh, whatever negative feelings you have inside of you out. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Conan. Yeah, you know, it's, it's fascinating. This goes to something that I think you agree with. How can you really blow people away in movies? We live in this era of, mm. for example, um, and, and I'm thinking of this because we brought up, we're talking about Rod Serling and these amazing endings. We live in an era where it's impossible not to have things spoiled for you. On Planet of the Apes, I remembered watching that movie. Uh, I was too young to see it in the theater when it came out, but I saw it later on in a movie theater. And when that ending is revealed with the Statue of Liberty, and the sand, I have a visceral connection to how blown away I was mm, and how everything suddenly made sense. And I had the same feeling when I saw Citizen Kane for the first time. And then I finally, re it's revealed what Rosebud, it, that Rosebud's the sled. And I'm just, I was just like, oh my God, that, that meant so much to me. Mm. And an electrical shock went through my body. I've had the experience now of watching things where I introduce my son Beckett to things and I'll show him and I'll be showing him Planet of the Apes, the original with Charlton Heston. And he'll say, oh, they're on earth. And I'll say, we're like 20 minutes in. And I'll go, wait, why do you know that? And he went, there's a Simpsons where they sing a song about how, and I'm like, fuck. That's exactly right. Fuck. By the way, that is so true. And this happens all the time with, with me and, and, and my kids, but Augie in particular, he, everything has been referenced so many times in shows you've worked on. Yes. 
no, wait a minute. <laughs> How did this get to be my fault? But it's true. It happened with it. And I showed him Citizen Kane and he went, yeah, it's a sled. And I went, what? And he went, yeah, there's an episode where Mr. Burns says Rosebud That's and like amazing. a sled falls out of the ceiling. And I'm, That's amazing. I'm enraged because the yeah. kids all know the references. I know. And, and I know. the references are so clever and... Uh, hyper knowing and waiting. But by the way, it's like, and if it's not that, it, then then things are being spoiled, you know, online, and and everything's being discussed. So it's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter where it comes from. It's like there, there's almost I don't know what it was what it was like, or if there was a kind of respect for the story, or some kind of sense of like the sanctity of of keeping the ending, you know, a secret. But like all that is gone now, and 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 everything is fodder. Like anything that can be used. It's mm-hmm. almost like we're all like monkeys in cages. Like anything that we can pick up and throw at the bars, yep. you know, we we do. And I and I feel like like the that idea of like you know if someone doesn't like something that someone does, you know, it has to be a weapon that you have to be you know insidiously, bitingly, you know, clever about online. If something is ruinable, you know, who's the first one who can you know find a way to to you know to to ruin the ending for? for it just it becomes a race to like shock and to, you know, and, and I think yes. it's, it's the Simpsons, by the way, is the, is the least of it. Cause at least that's like genuinely brilliant and hysterically funny. The idea that it's just sort of, you know, everything is just, uh, uh, I don't know, grist for the mill. It just feels like there's, well, there's no respect for kind of trying to keep things. Uh, you've probably, you know, you've probably surprised. experienced this. You've probably experienced this, but another experience I've had is I want to show my kids a film, a great classic film. And they're wondering, they're weighing whether or not they want to invest two hours in this movie, you know, versus something else they might want to see, because it's they're only allowed to watch stuff on the weekends. And so it's it's uh, one of our two shots that we get this weekend. And so they'll often say to me, what's this movie again? And I'll say it's Lawrence of Arabia or it's this. They'll say, well, let's see the trailer. And I'll say, no, I don't want to show you the trailer. They watch trailers and it's not just them. It's their friends. They watch trailers to decide if they're going to see a movie rather than just having the movie unveiled. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell them, you've got a pretty good percentage here. I'm showing you one of AFI's top 100 movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but I am stunned at how many times I go and see a movie and I'm sitting through the trailers and they tell me everything that happens in the movie. Oh, everything. It's the worst. I know. And it's know. their way, I guess, of covering their asses and saying, well, we want them to make, you know, to be sure they know that it's got a really cool ending and that they're on earth all the time. But I think today they would show you, I think today they would show you the Statue of Liberty in the sand in the trailer for they, Planet I, of the I, Apes. I, I do think that it's, uh, it's, it's something that it is a, is a very odd sort of, maybe it's because when a movie isn't working, they do it more often because it's like, let's just throw it all on the screen and see what, I, it, it's, a, it's a really annoying thing that I don't think anyone anyone likes. I think people at the studios know that it's it's not the smartest way to go. And yet still, it, it seems to be something that y- you feel like you've seen the movie when you've seen the trailer. I, I, I'm amazed because, you know, there, it's such an art form, such a weird, specific art form. When when a really good trailer is cut together, it's amazing how, how footage is used. Like for a great trailer editor knows how to find something that might, frankly, not even have much meaning at all in a scene, in a movie, or not, it might not even be used in the film itself, looking at sort of the dailies, but like they know like a certain look, a certain turn. Like I've seen so many movies where the trailers totally got me. And then you're watching the movie, you're like, eh, you know, the trailer was so promising. And you realize it's like these people who 
can edit trailers well. It is such a fucking genius, you know, art form that's, I, I don't think, it, it, quite, you know, appreciated the way it should be because it really is an amazing thing. When, when a, there, there are a lot of bad ones. We've all seen a lot of bad ones, but a really good trailer for a movie is so, like, it, the promise of what that is is so amazing. And then often you go to see the movie and you're like, oh, man, I wish that, I wish the trailer editor had more... <laughs> more of a role in the movie uh well i'm gonna reference uh a movie that i thought where the trailer was amazing and it lit and then the movie lived up to it and it's a movie uh that you worked on cloverfield and i was oh, in thanks. the theater when that trait when i saw that trailer uh, if you haven't seen the trailer if you just want to refresh your memory go back and look at that trailer that trailer you never see the monster you never see the creature that I remember being in a theater and that trailer running and people bursting into wild screams and applause and being just delighted. And then whatever movie we watched didn't match, that <laughs> had to follow the trailer, couldn't match it. Uh, and ironically, that trailer involved the Statue of Liberty, uh, right, not ironically, yeah. uh, coincidentally. But um, well, it's funny, we had the idea for that trailer while we were writing the script. And I, I literally, I, I remember calling up uh, the head of Paramount at the time was Brad Gray and saying, I'd like to shoot this trailer and, and get it on, uh, on Transformers if we could and, and, and not even put a title for the movie and have it be something that no one has heard of. And, and in, in yeah. this sort of moment of everyone knowing everything about what's coming, finding a way to surprise people, you know, was exciting. So they actually let us shoot the trailer before we shot the movie. We actually oh, wow. shot the trailer as a separate piece. Yeah, and then we were cutting together the trailer as we were prepping the movie and then the trailer was out there while we were shooting. It was a very bizarre way to go. And it was weirdly, it was the opposite of we have this date, we have to get the movie done. It was sort of like my asking the studio if they wouldn't mind letting us do something that was fairly unheard of. And, and, you know, we, we had the date that the movie was coming out was gave us plenty of time, but it was a really fun thing. And Matt Reeves who directed the movie and, and Drew Goddard who, who wrote it, you know, and Brian Burke, producer, we were all there like working on the trailer as if it were the movie. You know, it was this very strange, weird little like shooting a commercial basically, but we knew it was gonna be in the film. So it was sort of a way of using it. It was, it's yeah. a terrifying trailer that tells you nothing, but at the same time tells you everything you need to know. And I remember that trailer ending and thinking, I've got to, I don't care if there's a, ba a, a child of mine is scheduled to be born that day. I'm seeing that movie. <laughs> I have to see that movie. And this leads me to my next thing that I think I know that you're a, a, such a student of film, but this way of uh, trying to keep mystery. You've done it brilliantly throughout your career, but it's just keeping an air of mystery at a time when people are being given too much information. And I remember it on Lost you guys could just show, uh, especially early in the series, you guys could just show palm trees, a bunch of palm trees, and you'd hear a noise, but that's all you got. Mm. And that was scarier to me than any effect that cost $800 million. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't I do know what that, that is. I do think that, 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 that one, of my, you know, one of my favorite things you know, is, is the, the use of, of sound. As, like, what I've always wanted to do is a, a, a movie that, that took place in a, in a setting that, that didn't allow you to see much of what was going on. And we were talking about Cloverfield. We actually, you know, the, the first script, someone read it and it, it, it read like a, you know, a, a $200 million movie. And we were talking about how we, we actually wanted to show very little. And because of the, mm -hmm. the, the video camera, we were, of course, limited, uh, which was helpful. But the idea of what you would hear 
and 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 the idea of the aftermath of something. You know, it, when I, I first talked to Steven Spielberg when when he and, and Tom Cruise were going to do War of the Worlds, and I remember having a talk uh, a discussion with them about what what they were thinking about. And one of the things that Steven was saying how he really wanted to use the you know sound and 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 see very very little of you know the destruction these sort of tripod aliens coming down and i just i love the idea of of using you know using sound or you know like again i think you think about something like jurassic park one of the images that that you you think of is the water yep. and seeing those you know those concentric circles with with the audio of the or the the thump of the t-rex coming and that's as impressive and as impactful as any CG shot. And by the way, the amazing thing about that movie is when you look at that film, I think the number is 62 visual effect shots in that movie, which is uh, nothing compared to the literally 2,000 visual effect shots you might have in a, in a sort of current blockbuster. There were 62 CG shots. I mean, they had the, the giant animatronic puppets, but those were limited and could do, you know, but when you think about how sort of judiciously those things were used and the impact each shot had. We're now so sort of used to getting bludgeoned by so many different shots. And I'm sure I'm as responsible as anyone for that bludgeoning. But that, that idea of just like becoming immune to or, or numb to all that kind of imagery. It's earlier, it's interesting, earlier when you were saying how you were wondering about, you know, how do we surprise people today and, and with kids knowing all the, you know, endings before they even see the movies. You know, where I thought you were going was like, you know, how do we make people, how do we impress people? How do we make people feel anything anymore, given the fact that we can sort of show them everything? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really interested in that. Like, in a way, I feel like, you know, I just saw this this movie over the weekend that was incredibly sweet. Uh, it's called uh, The Minari. And it's this beautiful, sweet story about these Korean immigrants. And it's just a, a really beautifully done movie that A24 is putting out. Um and it was it was more emotionally impactful, you know, and there was it was a very humble, sweet film, you know, and it was just like there was just something about seeing a movie that was really that really, you know, had a an emotional punch, um, you know, that didn't have any of the stuff that in a way can be considered a crutch or or, you know, you, you think it'll be spectacle and therefore it'll it'll be impressive. And a lot of times it actually does the opposite. You know, I know uh, you mentioned Spielberg, and I know that you've worked with him, and you guys uh, are, are friends. I think one of the most famous examples of creating mystery is in Jaws, which I've always heard was an accident. That he wanted to show the, the the shark more, but because of technical reasons, he couldn't. So you don't mm-hmm. really see the shark for a long time during the film. I was blown away by that because. When you watch it now, you realize how effective it is, how powerful it is to not see the threat and to have this mystery and this sense of, I think it's over here, I think it's over there. It darts in and out of the frame. You get little glimpses of it. Yeah. But to think today about trying to make a movie where you don't really show, you don't really see the threat until, I don't know if it's the third act or close to the third act is pretty stunning. Yeah, I, I agree. It's funny that the thing, I mean, obviously the, 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 the story of sort of the shark known as Bruce, you know, not working is a, is, is a, a famous story and it's, it, it really did help the movie. Like you say, um, it, and it, it reminds me of uh, two things. One is um, the other things that like they thought they were going to do that ended up not being necessary and, and, and actually improving the movie. One day I was, I was with Steven in his office uh, at his home and, and he's got a shelf of all these um 
leather-bound scripts of his movies, and I, I, I saw Jaws. I said, do you mind if he's like, no, no, no. So I took it out, and I opened it up. I opened to a random page, and on this page, somewhere in the middle of the script, there were three lines from Hooper and Brody and Quint that were all crossed off with blue pen, and it, this was his script that he had on the mm-hmm. set. You mm-hmm. know? And right next to these three lines that were crossed out that were sort of generic lines was in pen written, Brody, we're going to need a bigger boat. Wow. And it was like the idea that, that, (laughs) that, that there was a on, an onset decision to say, you know what, instead of those three, let's just have this one. And it's that. And the other thing it reminded me of is in, in Alien, the original Alien, there's this, Mm -hmm. um, one of the deleted scenes, Veronica Cartwright, who plays one of the crew, um, you know, in a terrifying scene where she's being killed. And I, and it was a, a cut, not a cut scene, but it was a, a shot that was deleted that was this very wide angle shot down the corridor of her standing there and the alien kind of standing up. And it was literally the least scary thing you've ever seen in your life. Like it was like, it was not remotely scary. And this is like one of the right. great scary movies in, in the history. It was like an old man getting out of a sofa. It was, <laughs> it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to bite you. But, but I, I'm going to so, give you such a bite. I'm going to, with my teeth, they're going to come out and snap. Um, but it was, it was this, and you realize like, you know, the, the point of view, the perspective, how critical that all those decisions are and seeing a shot directed by one of the great directors in one of the great movies. And you go, oh, they chose not to use that. Of course they chose not to use that. But like, you just realize how close we all are to, you know, even the greats can make, can make, you know, decisions that they think will work. And they later, if they're lucky, they realize not to use them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think it may be apocryphal, but I'm pretty sure that I think they shot like three, I don't know if they shot them, but they had three possible endings for Casablanca. And mm. one of them was Humphrey Bogart singing a bourbon, baby, I'm coming with you. Fuck the French guy. And they get on the plane and, you know, it's just like, <laughs> he can find someone else. Not the same. Yeah. yeah and then the, the plane takes off and kooky music plays. Uh, Yakety Sax, I think. <laughs> Benny Hill. Theme. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> They, they missed an opportunity, <laughs> but uh, I think I think ending Casablanca with and the war got won and Hitler got beat and that's all you need to know. And Rick, and, <laughs> do you want to follow their story more? <laughs> it's Casablanca too. Uh, you know, I always wonder how people come at you know the different angles they they come at things. And I didn't know this when I first met you, and I found out later on that initially the way you were approaching all this was through music. I mean, you were very interested in music. You were very interested in, in how things, in, in scoring or how things were. Is that, is that true or do I just have lousy information? I, I love music and I'm, I'm always working on, on, on different tunes and I've done theme songs to some of the shows we've done. And um, when I was growing up, there were no VHS tapes. There were no DVDs or, or Blu-rays or streaming. It was like, obviously, like, like with you, like you saw what was on TV or what was in the theaters and, and that was it you know, like it or lump it. And uh, so for me, what I would do is uh, I would buy, uh, there was a record store uh, nearby where I lived in, in, in Westwood that sold uh, records that were, they, they were sent out from like as sort of, as, as sort of samples that were right. sold uh, inexpensively. So they were like, they had little holes that were punched out of the top corner uh, and you could buy them for, for two bucks. And, and all the soundtracks were there, you know, none of the sort of hit records, but all the soundtracks. So I would buy soundtracks like every weekend and I'd go home and I'd listen to soundtracks because I could tell what the story was based on the, the music and looking at the names of the, the tracks. 
And so I would lie there with, with my headphones on, like we have on now, and I would be just, you know, looking at the soundtrack uh, album cover and reading the, the, the names of the tracks and sort of whatever information it might have on the back. And I'd feel like I'd be watching the movie because, you know, certainly with, with, with composers like John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, um, you know, Maurice Jarre, there were certain people that like, they just, they told the story in their music. And, and so I always loved that. And, and I remember like we had a little stand up piano uh, at home and I would like, you know, sort of bang on the piano and sort of pretend those were cellos or whatever. And, and people would walk by and be like, stop, you know. Um, but in my mind, it was like I, I could hear, you know. And, Such a and nurturing so, household. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what, what I later, what I what I learned uh, was that there were, you know, there were these things called synthesizers and samplers, uh, and and I couldn't afford them un- until later. But when I finally got my hands on them, the idea that you could create most any sound, you know, a- allowed me to begin to to make music. Uh, never as good as or as well as I, you know, I, I, I'd like or as good as, as people who I know who do it for real. But I love it like crazy. And um, I actually even did, did music for a movie when I was a, a teenager that was called Night Beast. That was a, a movie actually released by Troma. Um, and it was this it was it was Night Beast made by this uh, man named Don Dohler, who was a, a, a director in Baltimore. He was sort of the horror equivalent uh, to John Waters, uh, and and he would do these crazy, pretty DIY horror movies that were sort of wonderful in their weird little way. And um, so, and he 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 made these magazines called like Cinemagic. Like as a kid, there was no internet either, so it was like I'd learn how to do animation or you know stop motion stuff or titles or whatever through these magazines. And and I remember writing a letter to him and he was like, yeah, I'm working on a new movie. I'm like, oh, wow, I, I, I'd love to do something. I do, he's like, you want to do the soundtrack? I was like, sure, I'm 16. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up like doing, you know, doing some of the, the music for that movie. And it was like, it was my, my first break. That's fantastic. It's either a really good sign or a bad sign when a 16-year-old just randomly writes a filmmaker and he goes like, sounds good. Hey, why don't you do, <laughs> no, but <laughs> do the I mean, soundtrack it, and get it in it's here? It's so funny. I, I, I wish this story had a better ending and you'll see why. But when we were shooting the, the, the pilot for Lost and we were on the, uh, the airplane set, and I believe it was probably the same airplane set that you and I shot on. Yeah. Um, and, and during lunch break, these people are coming to like look and 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 location scout the airplane <laughs> as if it's not a fucking airplane. It's an airplane. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so they're looking to and and the person who was scouting was Roger Corman. Oh wow! And okay. I went up to him. I'm like, Mr. Corman, there's film in the cameras. If you want to film anything you want right now, go ahead because he's the kind of guy who would shoot anything anywhere and just oh yeah steal shots and do things you know. And I just you know he didn't. And there's no ending to the story <laughs> other than uh, I met Roger Corman. Thank you. You know I. Uh... <laughs> I did get my shot in film, which was, do you remember the name of it? Was it Shark, Sharknado? Sharktopus. Sharktopus. Yeah. I, can't, I forget how this even came about, but this was about 10 years ago. They said, uh, it just, you know, crazy stuff comes over the transom. And then one thing was, would Conan like to do a, a cameo in Roger Corman's Sharktopus? And I said, you had me at, would Conan like to? Because <laughs> I'll do anything. No, I was, I was just, Roger Corman, you're kidding. Is he going to actually direct it? And they said, yes. Yeah. So I, I went to the beach, which I think is actually, all roads lead back to everything, uh, the, the same beach where they shot uh, the ending of Planet of the Apes. I went to that beach, and my job was to play Conan O'Brien as an insufferable, uh, I'm wearing a... <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a blue blazer and a yachting cap. And I have an assistant. Remember I had an actress playing my assistant, Sonia? Do you remember this? 
Right. Yeah. And she was fanning you or she something. She was fanning me like yeah. I'm some <laughs> absolutely out of touch. And I have a, and some kids are playing volleyball and they knock the volleyball and it hits me. And I jump up and I start screaming at them. I'm Conan O'Brien. Do you have any idea that, you know, I'm one of the top television comedians in the, and as I'm screaming, you see a long tentacle come out of the water. Oh, come on. That's it, fun. It goes, it, up, it goes up my ass, out my <laughs> mouth, knocking the cap off my head. And then uh, it rips my head off. The head rolls over to where the volleyball players are. They pick it up and continue playing volleyball with my separate head. And I have this Is that footage. Real? Yes. Oh, I'll, I'll get it to you. It's one of my okay. favorite. I, it's, uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing all day. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was just one of those. I think I was there for four hours, and I've never been more certain that I was doing the right thing. I've never <laughs> been more certain that my time, I've taken long walks with time my well son spent. and daughter where I've talked about life and uh, uh, my time with Roger Corman was much better spent. Uh, how, how was he? <laughs> he was great. Yeah. He was terrific. He seemed like he was in- What uh, an icon that guy. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, just absolutely, just absolutely uh, unbelievable experience, which, you know, I don't know if you're able to step outside your situation now, I know you know you to be a very uh, humble guy, but you've now created that kind of, you know, body of work where you're going to have, you already have people. I mean, the times that you've even passed my children, they wonder why you would ever spend a second with me. That's crazy. Yes, they no. do. They put you on such a, a pedestal and then they're like, can you believe that J.J. Yeah. Abrams, you know, I, 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 I know that it is it is the the format of, of you know, the, the podcast to have people say my name is and I feel this way about being your friend. But the reason I do feel exceedingly lucky is not just because, you know, obviously you're a lovely guy. And I know this is, you know, sounds sycophantic and stuff. But what, what I really, truly believe, despite everything that has happened in the nearly 30 years, which I cannot believe that, that have passed, the fact that I was sitting in that audience on that day, watching you as this young comic come out to, you know, begin in this kind of like this this crazy sort of precipitous moment for you, like uh, like uh, what it was going to be, you know, and and to get to see and have that audience electricity and to feel like, oh, here's a guy who's about to launch into the the, the consciousness and sort of the you know into pop culture and the history of this this country and and to have you be someone that now I get to know and, and, and hang out with. And it, it just, it, it, it really truly does make me feel like uh, a lucky guy. So I, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, wow. for, for that. That's amazing. Um, well, that's very nice of you to say. I know there's a movie role coming. Uh, <laughs> oh, how could there not be? Just get that vein surgery. <laughs> just deal with that vein and you're good. Uh, I will not... I will not torture you any longer. Uh, just absolute no, delight. And you've made uh, everybody snap to attention when they heard that you were coming on the podcast. Oh, please. Uh, which it is, is very nice. absolute honor. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, let's do this again tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> later today would be better. And okay, tomorrow. good. I'm, I'm available. <laughs> okay. You know, I made some personal moves in 2023 I'm pretty proud of. Oh, really? Yeah. Good. Well, I sculpted my body using weights, various waxes. Uh, I won the lottery seven times. There's a lot of things I did. <laughs> 
No, but you know what? Think back on everything you did in 2023, big or small, no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Mm, Yeah. That's good. Did you finally switch careers to pursue your real passion? That's a very brave move. Maybe you quit your job to stream video games online full time. Awesome move, exclamation point. (laughs) Did you hit the books and snag the degree? That move deserves a high five. Or maybe you rode the stock market to the moon and back, a move that can sometimes make you queasy. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. Getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. Filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. (laughs) See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, (laughs) and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications, like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. It's been a while since we've reviewed the reviewers. Uh, Are you guys up for that? I'll admit I'm always somewhat guarded. Uh, I tense up a little bit. I've feared criticism since I was a child. I'm always worried about what someone's going to say, but let's do it. You know that I'll take care of you. I screen these. Oh, okay. Well, I hate when you say that. Because that (laughs) makes me think there's horrible stuff I'm not hearing. So I mean, I'm screening all the praise. It's just sometimes it's too laudatory and it has to be taken down to just faint or normal praise. But there is not a single critical one of these reviews. You're kidding, but this is going to be something I think about at three o'clock in the morning because that's when I wake up. I wake up at three and I go through my uh, rosary bead of self-loathing. Click one bead at a time. Anyway, let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Subject. I need to know. Three exclamation marks. Five stars by J. Kawhi Nine. I'm sure that I'm not the first to ask this, but what do your sponsors think of the way you go about reading their advertisements? Personally, your take is so hilarious that I don't even fast forward through the ads, which is saying a lot. Do not ever change, which I'm sure by now is a safe bet. Sona and Gorley, the show wouldn't be the same without both of you. Hey. And I know that Conan will disagree, but that's really what makes him so special. Malama, Pono. Take care. Did he say porno at the end? Oh, no, Pono. God. I think oh. it's Hawaiian. Oh, oh okay. Care. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought he said, my love is porno. Why did your mind go there? Please. I didn't mean to lower what was otherwise uh, a lovely sentiment mm. until he delved into pornography in the end. I, um, I'm glad. I'm glad they like the way I read ads. I read ads the only way I can, which is I can't, I cannot read straight copy. I have no idea what advertisers think about what we're doing. And I'm, I'm not trying to be um, 
I'm not trying to sound cool or anything, but I honestly don't care. <laughs> I, just, I, I really don't care. I mean, I love doing the podcast and, 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 and I love that the ads are able to sustain us. But when there's copy that sounds blatantly ridiculous coming out of my mouth, I have to say something about it. So I can tell you a little bit that there's a certain amount of removal. So there's the advertisers, then the stitcher people that have to collect all that and then very gingerly ask for uh, for things to be edited out because they were too, too sharp a commentary. <laughs> like what? Um, Obviously, well, you didn't ask my permission first. So this is a revelation. <laughs> You're editing me out uh, editorially without consulting me? You're not even in this podcast. <laughs> That's probably why it's doing so well. <laughs> I'm shocked you still have sponsors, if I'm going to yeah. be blunt. Well, no. Well, first of all, I think one of the reasons we have sponsors is that, uh, I don't think I'm saying anything people don't know, the podcast has been very successful. It's listened I think the latest figures are over 9 billion people what? just in America alone, which oh. means, yeah, which is hard to do in a country of only 345 million people. Uh-huh. And also people do listen to the ads. They don't fast forward through them. So they are hearing the name of the product. Occasionally they're hearing me rail against the product. Right. But you still walk away remembering the name of the product. And as any advertiser will tell you, that's nine tenths of the battle. That is why I think uh, advertisers are sticking with us. So I am curious when I can just imagine Gorley mopping no. his brow with no. a vintage. Don't say, I love how your improv is just no. Are we improving? Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is an improv. It is an improv. You're I'm shitting laying out it. there that you are a fop. Oh, no, no. You are a cloth handkerchief carrying fop. And and that every now and then you're talking to somebody at a mattress company and you're mopping your brow going, no, go stick a dick, you weird clown. What the hell is going on? Stick a dick, you weird clown. Stick a dick. I don't get that at all. I don't know what that is. I love that. I don't either. It just came out. Let's move on. That's insanity. (laughs) Stick a dick, you weird clown. And you're the guy who's editing me. That's what I love. (laughs) Who's editing you? The guy you just shouted, stick a dick, you weird clown, is editing me out of my own ads. (sighs) Stick a dick, you weird clown. This is from the person who's editing me. Unbelievable. Well, anyway, uh, I hope you don't back down too much, Gorley. I hope you stand up for yourself. And I'm on your side. Right. Uh, There's been a couple of times where I've sort of in a fun way implied that the product I'm promoting will kill you. Mm-hmm. I think it might be something along those lines. Yeah, and maybe you've had to edit those out. Right. Yeah. You also have disdain for anything computer related that you don't understand. You automatically just bash it. So I don't think the computer will be part of the future. I think it's a fad. Oh, I, think, I do. <laughs> I think huh. the. I do think personal computing, and I think most of the advances in the last fifteen years will melt away, and huh. we will go back to the abacus. <laughs> Uh, wooden beads. <laughs> You'll see. This world, one day you're going to look back on this and go, what was that thing we did where we crunched a lot of information down using silicon chips? Oh, I don't remember. Click, clack, click, clack. <laughs> enjoying your abacus? I have more than one. Oh, then, are you enjoying your abacai? <laughs> I am, father. That's the future I envision. That was just you proving you know the plural of abacus. Yeah. So... <laughs> Okay, let's do another. (laughs) Our favorite podcast, five stars. 
by M. Madeline. Hi, I'm nine years old and I listen to your podcast. I think you are so funny. Hashtag love it. Aww. Nine? She's nine? I'm so glad she's going to hear stick a dick, you weird clown. <laughs> I just don't think a nine-year-old should be listening to this podcast. I mean, I'm, first of all, what is her name? Madeline? Yeah. Madeline, uh, that's very nice. I'm sure you're hearing some things on this podcast that are frightening or confuse you, and I apologize for that. <laughs> it's weird because it, it has uh, content that a nine-year-old shouldn't hear, but the maturity level of it is about a nine-year-old. Yep. True. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those weird, it happens very rarely that things line up that way. Well, I think I'm glad that uh, Madeline uh, surely, clearly has very good taste. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just hope sometimes I know that we, we delve into areas that maybe a nine-year-old shouldn't be hearing about. And uh, I blame Sona for that because what? she is, well, you're kind of, huh? you're a filthy, oh. dirty person. But I- Conan O'Brien am- needs a friend, so. <laughs> I need a friend who doesn't have their mind in the gutter. Oh, good one. Would you say uh, to me? I'm Would you sorry. say good one? I was mocking that comeback that you had because it was terrible. I said, oh, good one. Like Ah, yes. You're proving that my comeback was no good. Yeah. The old haha good one. <laughs> Madeline now is changing her mind. A nine year old is being driven away from the podcast. She switched to Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> She's now pumping iron. <laughs> Madeline's going to have arms for days soon. She's Check out these good. guns. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. I'm glad that she's listening to the podcast and maybe she'll learn a lot. I know that we go on. No, weird... she won't. Well, no. I, she learned the plural of abacus is abacai. So no there you go. No one learns anything from this podcast. This podcast has nothing educational whatsoever about it. This this podcast is the equivalent of uh, lead in the water supply. You, it shortens your attention span. Uh, you you start to drastically lose IQ. You uh, have difficulty sleeping, and eventually your empire crumbles. In this case, Rome. Hey, I also got some bad news for you. Uh oh. The plural of abacus is abacuses. <laughs> Damn it! Oh, you're a moron. I'm kidding. That was not. <laughs> you know what I love though? I, I, I'm, I first of all, abacuses is terrible. I would like to move. And I will, I think we should contact the Oxford English Dictionary people. And I'm serious about this. I think we should contact them and say, we want the plural of abacus to be abacai. Isn't abacai a great name? Sounds like someone from the Bible. Yeah, we're going to start a movement, a very important yeah. movement to change the plural of abacus. The word abacai puts me in mind of a story, as Abraham Lincoln used to say. That puts me in mind of a story. Um, you all remember the uh, dean of the actor's studio. James, James Lipton. Lipton. Yeah. He was a frequent guest on our late night show and did lots of bits for us and was a really terrific guy and a great raconteur of the old school. And his lovely, he passed away recently, which was sad, but he lived this amazingly full, long life. And his wife's name was Katakai. And I met Katakai and she was lovely. And I once, I think it was Elaine's restaurant, uh, I got to have dinner with James Lipton. He invited me to dinner. I think we did something together. And then he said, let's off to Elaine's. <laughs> and so the next thing I knew, I'm at Elaine's restaurant for the first time and I'm eating with James Lipton. And there are all these paintings and stuff on the wall and different pictures of different interesting people and sketches. And there was a painting of a woman up uh, behind James Lipton and he's chewing away at his pork chop. And he said, do you see that beautiful nude woman? 
that painting on the wall behind me? And I said, yes. And he said, do you know who that woman is? Oh, no. And I said, no. And he said, it's Kadokai. <laughs> and I dropped my fork and said, that's the fucking greatest line that anyone has said to me in my life. I'll never forget. James Lipton had, I think he had tied like a old school, had put like a, a napkin around his, his neck, you know, his throat to keep the food from getting on his suit. And he was chewing and he said, that woman behind me, do you see her? And it was this very attractive nude woman and the, the painting was maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 years old. And he went, I sa- he said, do you know her identity? And I said, no, I don't. And he went, it's Kadokai, <laughs> as God made her. Oh my God. What a fantastic moment in my life. And his wife was sitting next to him, just sort of like nodding, going, yeah. Okay, James, maybe not tell everyone that that's a nude portrait of me. Uh, Katakai, as God made her. If, if, if people take one thing away from my podcast, I want it to be that. Madeline, nine-year-old Madeline, if you're listening right now, oh, no. I may not know the plural. I may not know the plural of abacus. is abacuses, which it should not be. But I do know this, that when you see a nude portrait in what's the now-closed Elaine's restaurant, you should say, Katakai, as God made her. And then take a big swallow of a pork chop. Hey, listen, can I make one appeal? If you're a fan of this show and you see me out in the world, because I am out there, I walk around and I'm easy to spot. Uh, if you say to me, Katakai, as God made her, I will give you $10. Oh my God. You want that in this podcast? I don't know. I, that could have been a very foolish thing I just said. You let me know. It's, that's crazy. $10, I could lose a lot of money. Yeah, that's, don't do that. What do you do? Okay, don't do that. I'm going to actually say this. If uh, you see me out in the world, listeners to this podcast, if you see me, you know me when you see me, right, Sona? Yeah, you're a giant uh, white man with red hair, and it's very easy to spot you. Okay. Anyway, if you see me, (laughs) if you see me, all I ask you to do is shout, Kadokai, as God made her. (laughs) And uh, I will greet you very happily. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.